Welcome to Motherhood in Hollywood, episode 181. My guest today is Hallie Stanford, the executive producer of The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. And we are going to go behind the scenes and get the scoop on how this show took 14 years to make. Wow. Here we go. Grab your popcorn and goobers. It's time for Motherhood in Hollywood with your host, Heather Brooker. This is a crude prude's perspective on being a full-time mom in showbiz. She's not a perfect mom, but she can play one on TV. Hold on to your butts. Here's Heather. Hi, friends. I hope you had a wonderful Labor Day weekend and that you did no labor whatsoever. I certainly didn't. Chris and Channing and I spent pretty much three days in a row just playing video games and eating pizza. Um, and then I'm like, why am I so fat? Why am I not healthy? Um, that's probably a big part of it. But anyway, uh, it was a really fun weekend. Sometimes you just need to unplug. Sometimes you just need to sit in front of the TV and veg with your fam. And uh, that's exactly what we did. Part of the reason, too, why I uh, took that break is because we are getting ready to start award season in Hollywood. That means Emmys, BAFTA Awards, Golden Globes, Oscars. Those are all going to be happening. SAG Awards, they're all happening in the next few months. And my life is going to be super busy and crazy and fun. So, yeah, I'm just I'm taking the downtime when I can. You know what I mean, Jelly Bean? Uh, Channing is loving being in school. That has all gone really, really well. I'm very, I'm very sad though, because we just recently found out that our part-time nanny, the young girl named Courtney, who helps me out a couple days a week is moving away. And she has been such a tremendous help, but more importantly, Channing loves her, loves her so much. She, it's like a big sister and I don't think it's fully hit her yet that she's leaving. I mentioned it to her um, a couple of days ago and she burst into tears and um, it was really hard. Like Channing is such a deep feeler. She has such big feelings and I think it's really going to be hard for her once she realizes that Courtney is gone and we may never see her again. Ooh, even I just saying that's very sad. Um, so I'm not looking forward to that happening in the next couple of weeks because also it means I'm going to have to scramble to find some new help. Um, you know, I need, I cannot do all of this by myself. I don't even try to, <laughs> so I need to start finding some more help. And, um, so I'm not looking forward to that, but anyway, it, it's just part of life, right? It's part of the working mom experience. Um, so I have been binge watching. Uh, one of the other things we did a lot of this weekend is we watched a lot of TV. One of the things we watched was Carnival Row on Amazon Prime. Loved that show. It's so dark and so weird, but I love it. We also recently binged The Boys on Amazon Prime. If you haven't seen that, I highly recommend it. If you like, um, if you like darker shows, like, I mean, like it has some violence in it for sure. And it's a, the boys especially has a, a weird twist on the superhero genre. Uh, it's definitely worth your time. One of the best shows I've seen this year, but also one of the best shows I've seen this year is the dark crystal age of resistance. This is, um, a prequel to the 1982 movie, the dark crystal from the Jim Henson company. And this series is on Netflix and it is so beautiful and so vibrant. And 
I am beyond thrilled to have the executive producer and, um, basically she's been like a driving force partnering with Lisa Henson on this to bring the dark crystal age of resistance to our television screens. Um, it's Hallie Stanford and she has been on my podcast before talking about, um, some of the other Henson shows, splash and bubbles, word party, um, the shows that are made for little, little kids that Channing used to watch so much when she was little baby. Um, but now Hallie is here to talk about the dark crystal, which has been 14 years in the making, which is unbelievable to me. Um, but she talks about the behind the scenes of, um, the puppets, the, um, artistry, the, uh, marriage of visual effects and CGI with puppetry, um, and what it was like to try to, you know, pitch this show and get it made. And so she's really got some wonderful insights on getting this show made and about the story itself and how she and Lisa Henson really developed and crafted these, this world. So without any further ado, I am going to get to my interview right now with Hallie Stanford, the executive producer of the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. So I have a great treat for you guys. I am so excited to have Hallie Stanford back on the show. She's the executive producer of Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Is it the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance? The Dark Crystal. The Dark Crystal. of Resistance. You got to get that the in there. It's important. Titles are important. (laughs) They are. So I have to tell everyone, this is actually the second time Hallie has been on my podcast. And um, I, I cannot thank you enough from the day I met you you have been so supportive and so lovely and introduced me to so many wonderful people and things like the Indie Shakespeare Company Um, love going to support them every summer I honestly didn't even know they existed before I met you Um, and then you gave me the special look at the Jim Henson Creature Shop which was really special and part of the reason why we're talking here today actually the main reason why we're talking here today is because two years ago you invited me to come in and take a look at the creatures being made for the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance the new Netflix show and it was all very top secret I couldn't share anything I wasn't really allowed to talk about it of course I told my husband but (laughs) but now it's finally out and the response at least I think has been overwhelming um you have been working on this for far longer than before you and I came in to take a look at everything how are you feeling right now it's out in the world you're it's like you've given birth a little bit (laughs) Uh, I've definitely given birth I've been in yeah I've been in labor for 14 years Finally gave birth. Is that how long you've been working on this? I have been working on uh, different versions of the Dark Crystal uh, television series for that long, yes. Wow. And in fact, when you were just talking right now and you said two years ago, um, we had that tour, I thought, two years ago? It mm-hmm. feels like yesterday. Yeah. That's crazy. It was two years ago this month, actually. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It I feels was... so... You know, it's funny. It feels so so soon but yet so much has happened in between Mm -hmm. you know so much uh um bigness but yeah a lot we delivered a show so um let's go back a little bit and let's talk about um why you wanted to have this property brought back um onto the screen um well i grew up as a jim henson kid Sesame Street came out in 1969 i'm a sesame street generation i grew up with jim henson the muppets fraggle rock and dark crystal and labyrinth But I loved Dark Crystal. When I was a kid, Dark Crystal was like it for me. It was just like so magical and wondrous. And, 
You know, I also, you know, my dad died when I was young, so I had a little, like, sort of, like, I felt like, yeah, I know the darkness in the world. So (laughs) You were were emo kid. Yeah. Um, With, like, yeah, with big blonde curly hair. (laughs) Emo with the curls. Um, But uh, I think something really spoke to me in Mm. that story, and I'm like, yeah, even if you're little in a big, dark world, you can make a difference. And Mm -hmm. it was just very inspiring to me. I loved it. It opened up my love for fantasy. So, you know, jump cut to working with the Jim Henson Company, um, I've worked there uh, for 25 years. I left for a bit and came back. And when I came back, um, the kids had bought back the company. And Lisa Henson was my boss mm-hmm. uh, at that time and still is. Uh, and, um, <laughs> and you're like, not anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> and she, um, you know, we had to develop a new slate. Uh, the Muppets had been sold. Um, Bear in the Big Blue House had been sold to Disney. We had a clean slate. So out of that clean slate, uh, I produced a lot of things that you all know. Sid the Science Kid, Dinosaur yeah. Train, Animals. I can keep going. Splash and Bubbles. It, splash and Bubbles, exactly. Dot Doozers. But um, uh, to have the opportunity to perhaps, you know, do older fantasy, um, I remember asking her, what do you think about doing a prequel to uh, The Dark Crystal? And my whole justification was, listen, Thra is this big, vibrant world. It's our little Star Wars. It's our world mm-hmm. to expand upon. I would love to go back there. And I also wanted to create for the Henson Company, and I still do, um, fantasy and sci-fi worlds that people want to play in. You know, I don't necessarily want to play in Westeros. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily want to play in The Walking Dead. I want to survive uh, The right, Walking Dead, right. and I love The Walking Dead. But I, I thought that, you know, the Middle Earths, the, the Star Wars, like this was this was our, you know, one property that perhaps that could be um, a place for uh, kids and families to play in in Thra. And why not do the prequel? Why not do when it was a vibrant, lush world, when the Gelfling were all alive, when there were more creatures, when the world wasn't darkened? And so that's what we did. We started to develop a prequel uh, 14 years ago as an animated series oh. for kids. Um, and this and was before Netflix, because Netflix has only been Netflix. around for, what, 10, 10, 11 years, maybe? They, they haven't been around that long, have really? they? Really? Wait, have they? I don't know. Let's add it I up. I feel like maybe, but yes, yeah. Yes, it, it was yeah. definitely before Netflix. Yeah. And, um, and the other thing was, you always have to ask yourself when you're creating television series, why now, right? Mm-hmm. Why now? Why now in the world? Mm-hmm. So a prequel, very interesting. We get to go back to this time of, uh, of wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, why now uh, in this particular time in the story? Well, let's do the story about when the Gelfling discover that the Skeksis aren't so benevolent. Um, you know, when one Gelfling has to go tell the others, you know, there's there's a problem. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then why now in the world? Well, when we developed it at that point in the world, uh, it was um, definitely a political time where I felt like, wow, we definitely need to tell kids to be able to speak up and advocate for themselves. We think that kids will resonate with these Gelfling characters. Yeah, like we're the younger generation that's come to mm-hmm. um, sort of take over and see the truth of uh, our situation, maybe do something about it. But I feel like the universe conspired for it to come out now. Yeah. So I feel like that message then was relevant. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like essential now. Um, so I feel like it did conspire and Netflix was that so it went through these various stages yeah. the series the animated series with different networks but it ultimately landed at Netflix and at Netflix that is where they challenged us beyond the animated series why not why not do it with puppets like the original yeah. and only Netflix could have said that yeah you know and you were probably like oh that sounds like a lot of work <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Like, no, actually, like, my head exploded. I was yeah. like, oh, 
lot of like angels singing um and also like wait how wait can you afford that and they were like yeah let's figure this out and so that's what we did for a year for a year at netflix we worked on the script we worked on a sizzle to look at how um the skeksis uh and the gelfling could look in modern filmmaking and worked on a budget like, how do we make this a television budget? Wow. And so, yeah, we figured it out. It took us a year, but we figured it out. And once we were done figuring it out, Netflix gave us the go. That's amazing. Because I think about how hard it is to get a television show on the air in general when you don't have a well-known property yeah. like Dark Crystal behind you. Like, I can't even imagine. Um, there was probably a tremendous amount of pressure to make sure you got it right. There was. I'll talk about that in terms of the production, that mm-hmm. pressure, but also leading up to selling it, even with a big name like the Dark Crystal, Mm -hmm. there were two networks that developed it and passed, right? So that's how hard it is to make a television series. You know, you have to have the will and the belief um, to keep going. Uh, I wanna do a shout out to Ted Biaselli, who was our network executive at Netflix because he was our network executive at The Hub, which is one of the places it was developed at and it just didn't happen. We were mm-hmm. very close. We did a lot of beautiful development on the world. So all that world building we did, mm-hmm. everything led up to the Netflix series. Yeah. But when he got his job at Netflix, he was like, I'm going to go back and get that show that I loved yeah. and develop it. So um, luckily we had a real advocate um, that took us with him. But it's very hard to sell a series, even when it's pre-sold like that. Wow. Let's talk about that world that you were just talking about, the world you've created, because visually, it's a stunning show. You have married CGI with the puppetry Mm -hmm. so well. Um, Talk about, first of all, why you wanted to do that, not just do all CGI. Right. And also um, some of the challenges that are involved in that. Yes. And I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to answer that along with the, the last question, which is that pressure. You know, the pressure that we all feel in delivering um, the look of Thra mm-hmm. from the original Dark Crystal is um, it's not necessarily a stressful pressure. It's sort of a joyful passion. Sure. So everybody that was on the show from development to producers to writers to prop masters to customers, every one of us was a massive our crystal fan so what you're seeing on the screen is an intense amount of love mm-hmm. and caring and people who are inspired by the original so there was this like overwhelming desire to uh, honor the original look and then of course to plus it yeah. um, and so in doing so we did look back to practical puppets to um, cost the details in the costumes I wish that everybody so could pretty. go up close there are some museum exhibits out there you mm-hmm. know the British Film Institute had one, and then uh, Mummy in New York, just to get up close and see all the detail that's in the world. But that love and detail is what makes the world feel vibrant and has texture. So you have practical sets, practical costumes, tons of practical puppets. Um, I got to go up close um, in the Creature Workshop yeah. with Agra. Yeah. And see the beautiful robe that she's in Isn't and the detailing amazing? on the makeup and the hair and everything. The dress, um, you can see it in one of the videos I posted, but the dress has like three or four layers yeah. under it and they're all star maps. Yeah. You guys want to hear something crazy? Incredible. Like on the on the product, it's a little secret for all of us to know Ooh, about. A little me. secret. On the set, when, one day I went to go take a break uh, in the offices, and the, there's a puppet captain office, and so I went into it, and Augur's dress was just there, and part of me was like, I want to try it on. <laughs> 
I want to put it on. Let me just slip and this I just, on really like, quick. And I take a selfie. And then I'm like, oh, what if I lost my mind? I didn't do yeah. it. But I kind of secretly. Because it was just <laughs> lying there. It was just it's lying on the couch. It's so such beautiful. a beautiful dress. I know. It is gorgeous. But so there's a lot of practical. Mm-hmm. Even walking on the sets. They're massive. I was in Thra. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you can even see on my Instagram that. Is this, did this all film in um, London? In London. We okay, all shot yeah. in London. I was going to say, like, I have pictures of myself under giant trees. Like, mm-hmm. it's unbelievable. You were actually immersed in it. And I think that that was fantastic yeah. because I, I think that people will, will make it'll feel real. It'll feel alive. There's something where you're feeling like you're breathing the same air as the Gelfling. Yeah. But then shout out to the visual effects. The visual effects. Or would also expand the scope of the world. Yeah. So you're going to see long shots of Thra. Yes. You're going to see, you know, these beautiful different sort of um, like you're going to go down into the the caves of Grot, mm-hmm. and you're going to see all these sort of glowworms and all the things that the visual effects bring to life. It's just giving it sort of jeweled color and beauty and scope. Now, how many of these? Um lands existed in the original property or these worlds or whatever because when i was watching it it had a it had a little bit of a lord of the rings kind of feel to it about how all of these um lands are coming together all of these groups of gelflings and i wondered oh i wonder how many of these they had to come up with versus how many were in the original script well, you know what? I don't have the exact number in front of me of the the exact lands versus the lands we created. Mm-hmm. But what I can say is from, you know, even looking at the film itself, you know, the Valley of the Mystics, Crystal Castle, um, you know, there were, it was very limited in some ways. There mm-hmm. was there was this sort of triangulation where the Wall of Destiny ended up. Like, you mm-hmm. can think of all these spots, but what we had to reconstruct is what did the world look like before, before. everything got wiped away and darkened? Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of world building done. Um, everything from um, creating all the clans of Gelfling. Mm-hmm. And so in creating their clans, uh, like the Vaprin live in these snowy mountains, mm-hmm. or Stone in the Wood, they live in the woods and right. the mountains. Um, then the Dusan live in the Crystal Desert. All of these places were created for the series so cool um and then the cultures behind them were created yeah and then there's they all have animal sigils yeah so stone in the wood fizz gig um it's so creative and it's so unusual and i just kept thinking like man they must have smoked a lot of weed when they were writing these <laughs> no you just we just we just all dream fasted we're all a bunch of nerds we're such nerds i know and i love it i was like it's just so imaginative and creative but there were um, so many people involved right so yeah. you suddenly had so many people contributing but mm-hmm. one of the greatest contributors that i will say is brian froud wendy froud and toby froud so you had the frouds who had that original the original yeah yeah the original uh, look and vision of the series and they worked on our series. I meant the movie. Yeah, they yeah, worked on the movie. Yes, and then yeah. they were on our series. So that sort of surreal, um, fairy-like, ethereal, uh, ethereal uh, mm-hmm. um, vibe that you're getting from it. Well, that's very Froudian. Yeah. And let's so. talk about the director. Um, I'm going to say his name wrong. No, Louis, you're not. Louis. 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 I did. Louis Leterrier. Leterrier. Yeah. Um, He did a beautiful job. Yeah, he did. He did. And he, you know, the thing that Louis did is he brought a modern filmmaking sensibility to the series. Mm. So again, you know, you can reboot a mm-hmm. property, 
but you also have to think of the modern audience and their right. taste. So he knew that. He knew the pacing that the audiences needed. Um, he knew the way to uh, evoke emotion mm. out of a scene um, that in a kind of contemporary style. He's also um, a cinematographer, mm. so he's working with the camera That's a lot. That's why you've got those gorgeous long shots of the exactly. of the world and of all of Thra, and you're like, I this place could exist. Absolutely. And yeah. he also has a background in visual effects, too, so oh, he helps. was able to really... There's a seamlessness, I think, mm-hmm. personally, <laughs> to the practical and the visual effects where you're like, wait, where does one begin? Where does the yes. other end? And it all feels practical. But of course, you know, there is there is visual effects. So I think yeah. that discipline that he had with the other properties he had worked on um, really came into play, too. And that brings up an interesting point. My husband and I were watching this last night and he said... Um, are the tongues on the Skeksis CGI or yes. are those real? And I was like, I think they're real. No. They're Hello. CGI. Yeah. Oh, he's totally right. Because of the right. way they like flutter around and they whatever. I mean, of course the puppets had tongues in their mouths. Yes, yes, yes. But yes, the, uh, many of them are He's are good. All right, enhanced. he's going to win that one. I'll let he him will have, win that one. I'll have to tell Yeah, him. so you'll see little enhancements on the yeah. puppets' um, tongues. Um, fun fact, Deet, uh, our, you know, our, our Groton Gelfling, uh, our, our little hero of Thra, she, her eyes are very big, very right? Big, yeah. she, she lives underneath the ground, and so her her actual puppet design was different from the other yeah. Gelfling. And because her eyes were so big, what we realized in terms of building the puppet was it was going to be very difficult to put um, blinks in there, uh, oh. remote blinks, because the hand wouldn't fit. So oh. Deed, actually, all of her blinks are Our digitally CG. enhanced. Yes. Oh. Yes. So, you know, just little things would help us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of this was to help us create a more emotive and expressive character. Yeah. But hands, hands, you know, like hands up in the air for the puppeteers. Yes. They are the ones, you know, this, these are not digitally enhanced performances. They are the ones that are bringing to life those incredible performances. Now, how many um, puppeteers does it take to do like a Skeksis versus a Gelfling? Oh, um, depends on the shot. Yeah. Uh, the reason I say that, usually with a Gelfling, um, it would be two or one. Uh, you know, the main puppeteer. Mm. But sometimes there'll be shots where uh, you'll see Gelfling flying. Yeah. And so that may take three to four uh, yeah. puppeteers in green suits um, against a green screen. Um, and then with the Skeksis, um, two, uh, um, but also you'll have puppeteers on the outside. Yeah. Working, um, the, working the, the eyes, eyes or the brows yeah. yeah so the facial many. features the answer is several several yeah because yeah. you you know you think oh there's probably just like one guy in there with a hand up the a hand up the backside but that's not the case with this kind of puppeteering no it's this not. Is not old school old although school although yes it is a little yeah. bit old school of a little course bit? i mean they have to put their hands up oh, in the sure, air and sure. like and puppeteer the, oh, the mouths okay it, can you imagine how much strength these puppeteers have? I mean, first of all, they're not doing it for only 10 minutes a day. They're doing it's it for an hours. entire production shoot. Wow. And they have to act. So when everybody's watching the show and you're seeing moments where, like, they're fighting and they're acting and they're being funny, they're doing that as well as being underneath that puppet, looking at a monitor, trying to find their eye line in the camera, trying to get a great performance and mm-hmm. trying not to pass out. <laughs> My gosh, I can't imagine. Then when actors complain, oh, I have an audition in Santa Monica, you're like, get over it. Get over it. Get under a Skeksis. <laughs> get under a Skeksis for 12 hours. Exactly. Let's see how you do then. 
Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the stars that are voicing these mm-hmm. amazing characters. You have an incredible cast attached to this. We do. Um, We're so lucky. Um, of course, immediately right away, I recognized um, Katrina Balfour. I think I'm going to say her name wrong from Outlander. Oh, my gosh. No. I, I'm reason, a huge Outlander Oh, no. Fan. I'm a huge Outlander <laughs> fan. And in fact. Did you have you met her? I'm assuming you have met her. Yes, because I wanted her to be in it. Oh, like, I there, love you know, that. Everybody has the people they push for and want. Yeah. And I was like, you her have got to class, cast Claire from Outlander. Oh, I love that. <laughs> And she is so lovely. She's so nice. And wonderful. And she's a very perfect example of how her voice brings something extra to the yes. character. It's very Just soothing. something yeah. um, a little softer, but yeah. also still warrior. Tavra's yes. a warrior. Yes. Um, and she's very funny. She she says, uh, I never have any fun. But uh, yeah. you have a feeling with uh, Katrina's... Uh, uh, um, uh, voice performance maybe Tavra does have a little fun yeah but yes that was very exciting for me and it was really important to of course cast excellent actors and actresses in the roles mm-hmm. but one yeah. of the things I felt really strongly about too was listen let's bring in um, talent from other fantasy fandoms yeah you got Mark Hamill in there yeah, let's Hello. get Star Wars in there let's yeah. get let's get Harry Potter in there let's yeah. get let's get uh, Jason Isaacs in there come on everybody let's get people from the Marvel Universe let's get um, I really wanted somebody from The Walking Dead but next season next season <laughs> um, you know like bring in these different um, uh, fandoms because that is important um, to building out the world beyond just the core fans um, one of the things that I think is so exciting, though, is that we also got to bring in celebrities who were so passionate about the Dark Crystal. Mm-hmm. Like they, like Andy Samberg, like called us. Oh, like, I want to be a Skeksis. Oh, um, that's so cool. And uh, if you've seen the show, then you will know he plays uh, the heretic and does an incredible job. He's, He's so, so great. hilarious. Yes. So and Aquafina, like all these comedians came to the table too and played roles. So kind of unexpected casting, yeah. but um, all did a fantastic job. Um, I am also available, by the way. If you excellent, need, if you need a gelfling in the back to be like, help me, <laughs> <laughs> I could do that. Or a I'm not a huge going, star. Woo! I'm not an NBC star technically i guess but i could do that yes um i want to talk about you said you brought in people from other um uh, fandoms and other worlds like you know your marvel star wars etc um when you're making something like this or when you've got all the henson catalog of properties to pull from are you at all in competition with or intimidated by i mean honestly just disney um because disney has seemingly like such a stronghold on so many properties yeah. that fans love. Um, and, you know, Warner Brothers has DC and all of that. But Disney, for you know, they've got Star Wars. They've got yeah. Marvel. They've got, of course, every Disney movie. It, it, do you guys consider them to be competition at all? Or is it, you know... You know, it's interesting. First of all, I feel that they're very supportive partners mm-hmm. um, just in terms of, you know, shows that we have in development and production with them or all the work they do for the Muppets. But when you first asked the question, the first thing that like the emotional reaction I had when you said that was, no, I'm so grateful to Disney. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful to them for all their family programming and for at least trying to keep the fun and the hope and the magic alive. Sure, sure. So I think for us, you know, if we can tell a story that feels uh, in that same space of family. Mm-hmm. and um, imagination, but we can capture a different kind of storytelling. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for them to come on over, the Disney fans, and like check us out. But no, I never feel um, 
in, in competition with them just because, you know, they have their own, you know, their own networks and their own distribution. Right. Um, I, you know, I would just want to work with them more. But I, I honestly think that, like, our sensibility and storytelling, like, what we're trying to do with The Dark mm-hmm. Crystal, on some level, though, um, is try, is trying to, like, reach out to audiences and get them to think about, you know, sort of bigger subjects. That's mm-hmm. what fantasy does. Yeah. So in the case of our series, we're really trying to get um, people to have a voice and think about, like, Mother Earth and, you know, what's happening with her and what can we do about it? What's going on politically? Should we be speaking out? Should uh, young people have a voice uh, in their future? Um, should, uh, uh, you know, crimes against humanity, you know, should there be consequences? These are sort of really heavy subjects that are happening mm-hmm. in the Dark Crystal. And I think that at Henson that we can go a little bit darker and deeper mm-hmm. than Disney can. Yeah. And that's okay, too. There's yeah. room for both. And um, There's never a fear right? of yours and that Disney will want to buy you, buy Henson. Oh. And then all of a sudden. Because, like, I always think there's a little part of me, and as much as I love Disney, that kind of worries that they're becoming a monopoly a little bit. They own so much. and Becoming? So many they are. No, <laughs> you know what I mean? They own so much of our entertainment that it's that you don't want your your concern is you don't want it to feel homogenized you want to feel like there's an opportunity for other stories to be told out there yeah and i just wonder as someone who is in development who is making shows like this and you're still very separate from you know disney even though they've got the muppet connection and whatnot is there ever a concern when you're developing something that disney could just buy you (laughs) is that something henson ever worries about well i mean they just bought what fox like all of fox I don't know the goings-ons behind right. Jim Henson Company and their conversations with Disney. And when I mean the Jim Henson Company, I mean the Henson kids. Yeah. But what I do know is that we're definitely on our own trying to build out family entertainment mm-hmm. that feels modern yeah. and unique and hopeful. Yeah. And um, we're sort of pushing into primetime as well. So. I just know that everybody's trying to grow that brand mm-hmm. right now and not looking to sort of grow it to be sold, um, if I that know. makes sense. That totally that makes our sense. stories are, you know, we're trying to push them out there. I think what I'm more concerned about right now is um, the gatekeepers not taking risks on original. Yeah. So that, you know, we look at all these reboots or we yeah. look at, you know, these these massive properties that, you know, are being mined and mined and mined. Mm-hmm. And I keep thinking of, well, who's the next J.R.R. Tolkien? Yeah, where's or the next original story Where's the from? next original? It's, I mean, it's definitely we're yeah. out there, but I just hope that there's a lot of risk-taking in um, in the space of fantasy and, and sci-fi, especially uh, with female voices. Yes. And... Um, kind of servicing different kinds of storytelling in that genre mm-hmm. um so that's my that's my biggest concern right now when yeah. i'm out there pitching definitely it's interesting i definitely um hear a lot of oh we already have a spaceship uh, or we already have uh, a dwarf or we already right. have this we already have and this one so thing so we couldn't possibly, couldn't have, possibly another have another uh, uh flying shark movie i'm kidding i'm not doing <laughs> a flying shark movie um but that's that's what I get more concerned about mm-hmm. uh, rather than oh being you know bought or sold. I, I'm more concerned yeah. about like, where's the fresh storytelling happening. Story that's what gets me excited. Now you mentioned um, um, different voices and female voices and that sort of thing. And this show has a very strong female voice. Yes. And I think 
that's because there's so many women behind yes. the scenes um, exactly working on this right. show. So yes. tell me a little bit about that. Why was that something important for you? Well, it's very important to Lisa Henson and I. So I mean, you know, we are we are female producers. We are advocates for female talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, behind the camera, in front of the camera, but in building out the Dark Crystal world, it was very important to us to make sure it had this sort of feminist fantasy lens Mm -hmm. um we definitely wanted to make sure that uh our heroes were balanced Mm -hmm. in terms of gender but not only our heroes just all the characters Mm -hmm. um but it ended up being that our main heroes it's two girls against one boy yeah Uh, so that's fun and um was that hard was that a harder sell do you think no, it wasn't oh, at good. all. And because they're strong characters. Yeah. And we had very open-minded executives, wonderful executives at Netflix, but also um, fantastic writers. So Jeff Addis, Will Matthews, Javier Grio, Marswatch, and Vivian Lee were all brilliant writers. Vivian Lee. Vivian Lee, <laughs> exactly. And um, But before the writers came on board, um, Lisa and I had developed the mythology um, of the dark crystal world and in it uh during one of the sessions that we had that we called we love to call the great creative conjunction uh and brian froud was in attendance we decided at that meeting that uh the gelfling cultures would be ruled by women that it would be a matriarchy yeah so you'll see the madras in it Mm -hmm. uh, and then you'll see the all madra Uh, and the all madra is sort of the queen of the madras Mm -hmm. and so you know suddenly when you take a look at a society that's run by women it feels very different it looks very different yeah um there are women warriors there's no token female warrior or there's no women trying to be men in armor they are just warriors um you know madra farah who's the you know the leader of the stone and the wood clan she is a war hero and um but also very feminine in her appearance and she has this little fizz gig and so she's very nurturing with him but uh and then you'll also see with with the all madra she's a mom yeah she's a mom she's a working mom who yeah struggles. she's a working mom she struggles <laughs> yeah there's this one scene between her and her daughter celadon where they have this conversation about you know you know duties to uh, uh daughters versus duties to um to thra um and so there's sister stories too within it and um yeah so there's all kinds of different female stories it's not just a romance story yeah or it's not just about one girl getting to speak up against the you mm-hmm. know the the patriarchy yeah um it's, it's definitely a lot of different like that. female stories in it yeah it definitely doesn't feel like now we're gonna hit you over the head with yeah. you know a, a feminist agenda or anything like that it just feels like a great story and mother agra let's just talk yes. about that mother yeah. agra she is thra mm-hmm. so then suddenly you have this kind of goddess embodied image of yeah. this like incredible crone who's so powerful and can stand up against the Skeksis and she's so mothering and I think I've told you this but I want everybody to change the phrase mama bear to mama agra like (laughs) you can never have a better mama than mama agra she's pretty fierce and she always has her eye on you let's talk about if this is appropriate for um kids because I don't know if my I I mean I could show it to Channing but there's a couple of scenes the Skeksis in particular are a little scary when we um worked on the series and developed it initially it was a kid show mm-hmm. um, and then we um, developed it for Netflix for family and so that um, heart of it was always there that sort of eight to ten year old uh, mindset we always mm-hmm. we always um, we never went younger I wouldn't recommend uh, watching it younger I mean, right. it depends on your child I but agree. I would yeah. say eight and above I agree you're good to go 
Um, but just depends on the kid. You know, yeah. I have a son. I mean, he's 21 now, and he's going to be horrified I said this. But, like, <laughs> when he was that age, you couldn't get him to watch Harry Potter. He was like, that's good, too scary. No yeah. thanks. We've been trying, actually, to get Channing to watch Harry Potter, and she's like, no yep. thank you. And yep. I'm like, how do you even know what it is? Yep, he was not interested. She's like, loves magic, though. So we're like, all right, let's give it a few years, because I think years. she'll really enjoy it. Um, there are tough themes in it, mm-hmm. and my um, advice to parents would be, you know, watch it first, um, and then be ready to have conversations. Right. So I actually watched it this weekend with a group of, with my Cub Scouts, and, um, you know, I prepped them ahead of time, and so we had lots of conversations like, oh, you know, about uh, characters that die, that mm-hmm. um, characters that make bad choices, mm-hmm. and the Skeksis are pretty easy to talk about. Meaning that they're, they're bad. I mean, you know, they are they are uh, authorities who are making really really bad decisions and doing bad things. So there's a lot of conversations that parents can have with kids about speaking up when you see somebody who you think is supposed to be a trusted adult doing bad things, mm-hmm. and um, it can be a real conversation starter. I think yeah. the show around the table. There's a lot of bad choices the characters make that I think is worthy of um, just like in real life yeah there's yeah. parents that actually don't listen to their kids right they don't <laughs> right, right there are girlfriend right. parents that don't listen to their kids in it and there are yeah. repercussions for it but then there's forgiveness yeah and listening and understanding so um but in terms of scary factor yeah there's some scary there's stuff some scary there's stuff. a lot of scary stuff yeah but no scarier than Star Wars no no, I don't think so. I mean, that's a great point, too. It's definitely a good conversation starter. Yeah. And I think with anything you watch, you should have conversation with your kids about it if you're worried or concerned at all. Um, but I just know, for me, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I also oh, love the fantasy genre. I love the idea of revisiting this uh, land, The you know, that you're right absolutely was ripe for plucking for development and like coming up with story ideas um since i started working on this for the past week i have had the crystal method song in my head (laughs) have you heard do you know what song i'm talking about (gasps) you have to i'm gonna play it in this podcast i'm gonna actually I'll, i'll set it up with this but the crystal method is like kind of a um uh I guess like a, I don't want to say techno, but yeah, I mean, they're kind of dance techno band. Yeah. Years ago, they had an album that came out and they used samples from the original Dark Crystal. So over it, it goes another world, (laughs) another time in the age of wonder. And then you hear this like awesome beat behind it. I can, I'll play it for you after you leave. Oh no, I'm so excited. It's like, um, there's this part of it goes before the crystal cracked the crystal. And then it starts like going over. And I have literally <laughs> had that in my head over and over again for the past like week and a half. I'm loving um, it. It's such a good song. And I'm like, I secretly want it to be used in the show somehow, but that's just my own. Someone's got to cut a track to it. Someone's got to, yeah, someone's got to like take the imagery from the show and like make their own. I used it in my video of Agra when I was showing her, um, her dress because I was like, hopefully fingers crossed. If there's a second season, it would be so amazing to do like, is there cool a, when will you know oh we won't know we won't know for, for a while not a while they give us a uh you know they have to take a look at the numbers at the numbers yes and then everybody let us know. go and watch it yes and just keep it running don't even like stop it don't <laughs> just pause it. Just keep, keep it going. going keep it going get past the pilot keep it going well i have a really Show good feeling love. just based on what i the reaction i saw on social media like it was trending all you know all weekend and like so people exciting. are loving it 
people are loving it. Um, and a huge congratulations to you. I know Thank you've you. been working for a long time. I have. Um, and I'm going to put up information up on motherhoodandhollywood.com about Hallie, but also about the show and links to where you can watch the live walkthrough that I did for NBCLA at the Henson Creature Shop. So you guys can get a little behind the scenes there um, and interview with Peter, who is the creative supervisor there at the shop. Um, Hallie, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's so exciting. It's so you, exciting to be with you I two know, years later so, and I talk know, about so, it. I feel like we've emailed and stuff, but I haven't actually seen you in person. So I'm, this is such a treat. So thank yeah, you so too. much. Thanks. Thanks again for listening, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful week. And remember, I'm not a perfect mom, but I can play one on TV. Bye. Balls.